All right. Okay. Good evening. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you. Uh, welcome to our, our next round of Gracebook. Um, for those of you who are new, just going to do a little bit of an introduction uh, about myself. Uh, if I can, there it goes. I was uh, raised in Michigan, not born there, but I claim it because I don't like to admit where I was born. Um, so Michigan is home. Lansing, right in the middle of the state there where the star is. Uh, my wife, who I'll show you in the next picture, is uh, from a little bit north, kind of up near the, the thumb area. Um, so that's home. That's where we, we unfortunately spend a lot of our time when we're not here. Um, not by choice, but by requirement. Uh, this is my family. Uh, my wife, Missy, we've been married uh, over 15 years now, but we've been together uh, for almost 25. So we started dating as freshmen in high school and a um, couple of kids and she just couldn't get rid of me. So um, that is us. We got three kids, Emerson, Thaddeus and Phineas. Um, yeah, that was our Easter picture. So excited uh, to have a nice new picture of everybody. Uh, before this, oh, now you can't even see me. Um, I'm gonna have to do... Before this, uh, I served at a church in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah for about 10 years, where my first congregation was. Um, feel lucky. Um, they they kind of taught me how to be a pastor, so I'm a much, pastor, a much better pastor now than I was back then, I think, and that's in large part due to them and their patience. So um, that is my associate I served with. It was a larger congregation, so there were two of us, um, and he has since left as well. So they've got uh, two totally different pastors and are doing awesome. So uh, it also was called Prince of Peace, strangely enough. So I don't know why that is, but it just, the way it worked out. Uh, I was installed here on, uh, I believe it was June 5th of 2017. Um, May 1st is when we pulled into town or May 1st. And so it'll be a year, just a couple or five years in just a couple of days that we've been here. So uh, this is the picture of my installation day. Uh, my dad is in the back on the left. Uh, the guy you just saw, my associate, was there behind me. Um, and so a bunch of uh, area pastors as well. So that is my story. Uh, what about it's one of my favorite things, too? So thank you, everybody, uh, for being brave, introducing yourselves. Um, just a couple of things to note uh, about the class. This is uh, primarily for, for those who are in person, but also for those online. Um, if you look in the, the, the binder that you have or the, the handouts, if you printed them out before you came, there is a, a course outline. And it probably is one of the most common questions I get, how long is the class? Um, and this class has gone from 20 lessons to 17 lessons uh, to 14 lessons. So if you just, yeah, if you keep kind of coming back, it might get shorter and shorter. I'm trying not to, you know, get rid of any important information, um, but I'm trying to find more kind of streamlined ways to communicate. So when people ask uh, the most common question, how long is the class? I say it's 14 lessons. They say, how long does that take? It's 14 lessons. It can be, it can be quick. It can be long. It all depends on, uh, normally I say it all depends on how many questions are asked, but the, the truth is it, it all depends on how much I feel like talking, which is usually a lot. So I will do my best 
um, to try and keep that to uh, necessary things. But there you see kind of the, the, the outline, the title of the class, and then the subjects that we will study um, on the right-hand side. Um, there is um, contact info for, for me on page B, bottom of the page. If you ever want to ask me a question, shoot me an email, send me a text message. Um, people who know me and who are on here will know that I pretty much uh, am, uh, will answer your text message any time of the day. Um, I don't sleep much and that's just kind of the way it is. So please uh, feel free to contact me at any time. Um, attendance, I don't keep attendance. Um, there is, there's nothing like that. Uh, when you missed a class, you got to do this. But I would encourage you, if you're going to be a part of this class, to try and come as often as you can, because each lesson will kind of build on the previous one. Um, now, that being said, I realize this is a, a hard commitment for anybody to make, um, to, to not miss a single class. And so the nice thing that we're doing is I am going to be uh, recording all of these classes on Zoom. So if you have to miss a class, just let me know. I'll send you the video. You'll be able to watch it kind of at your own leisure. Um, and that way you can stay on track. And if you got any questions, um, then you can ask me, okay? Uh, questions. <clears throat> this is a big part. Uh, Trish has been talking about this this evening. Um, hopefully a lot of you are, are aware of this as well. Um, this is probably one of the things that I enjoy most about this is Sam kind of referenced the, the conversation, right? There's a lot of material that we're going to go through and it's all there. Um, but I have that there just to kind of serve as this gives us something to spark conversation. Um, don't ever let me get to something else or turn the page if you have a question on, on something. And I know it takes a couple of weeks, a couple of lessons for people to get comfortable doing that. And I understand that. Um, but I, I think one of the impressions a lot of people have is, um, well, these, you heard the people, right? Been a member for 28 years, been a Christian my whole life. These people know everything. Um, I don't want to ask the question that's going to make me sound like I'm dumb or I don't know this. Uh, but I guarantee you that the question you ask is either a question that someone else has or someone else had. Um, and they are going to appreciate getting that refresher or hearing the answer themselves. Okay. So if you have a question, please, please, please ask. There, there really are no bad questions. This material is too important. This stuff is too important for us just to kind of breeze through, smile and nod at each other. Um, relax, just relax, okay? This, I, I, I don't dress in my Sunday collar. Um, we don't have any kind of strict, you know, formalities that we do. Um, if you need to come five minutes late, 10 minutes late, if you need to bring dinner with you, and eat it while you're here, please feel free to do that. If you have to leave 10 minutes late or 10 minutes early, leave 10 minutes early, right? I mean, I'd rather have you here for whatever time you can in whatever shape you are, um, you know, than you not being able to come. So um, please uh, just, just relax, okay? Um, the free stuff on the back table, as I mentioned, whatever is back there is yours to take, okay? Whether it's a Bible, a book, a sticker, a magnet, uh, a binder, um, anything. It's on the table, it is yours um, to take. The extra reading is something that is also back there. So every lesson we have, um, I print out uh, a little like two page, um, kind of a devotion, but really what it is, is it's, it's a question. And it's a question that pertains to the lesson that we're going over. And it's from this book um, that basically is just every section of the book is a kind of a common question that people ask when it comes to either the Bible or Christianity. Um, and so the question I think is going to, 
is gonna to pertain to the lesson that we cover and it's gonna be helpful for you to take that. It's not required, but just know that when you see the little packet of paper in the back that's stapled together with the question that's highlighted, that's the extra reading for the new lesson. Okay, so if you wanna grab one of those on your way in, on your way out, I would encourage you to do it. You can just stick it in your binder um, and I think you'll really enjoy those. Uh, the last page, letter D in your handout is what are Lutherans? That's just kind of my attempt to give you a, a one-page summary of who are Lutherans? What does that mean? Um, you know, I think the further I get away from the, the Midwest, the less and less people know about Lutheranism, and that's fine. Um, but I, I just wanted to at least put something down on paper so that people can kind of have an idea of what it is. So, all right, so that's just kind of the introductory material. Um, now to the, the class itself. Grace book, where does the title come from? Well, I invented this, uh, I don't know how many years ago, but it is a combination of this. Um, and those two pictures, I think, are pictures that really kind of can create a, a pretty emotional response, right? Uh, social media in general, the Bible, right? So when you look at and you see the picture of Facebook, um, you know, what kind of reaction do you have? Um, probably depends on, on your generation. Um, I remember when it first came out, it was all the rave for us young kids. And now as I get older, we're stuck to it. But I talked to young kids in our congregation and they're like, I don't even know what Facebook is. I'm like, wow, um, I don't have TikTok or, uh, you know, any of those new things. Um, but uh, Facebook was kind of the original. So that's the one I'm sticking with. Um, as, as bad as Facebook is and as, as, as awful as people can use it, I think there are some great benefits to it. Uh, as I mentioned, all my family lives back in Michigan, um, and yet it's an easy way for us to share pictures and to stay up to date on what's going on in family um, and with friends that I haven't seen in a long time. I can stay in touch and even get into contact with people that I haven't seen in 10, 20, 30 years. Um, my entire 10-year high school reunion was done over Facebook. Um, I had lost track of pretty much everybody I went to school with, but Facebook was able to find all of us. So there are beneficial things. You can go on this, this social media website and you can learn about people. Um, you, you, can, you can put your information on there. You've got your, your bio information, you've got pictures, you've got descriptions, you've got all of these things that you can learn about people, you can learn about organizations, you can learn about companies. It can be a beneficial tool. When it comes to the Bible, I think that's another one people look at and you're gonna have probably, most people are probably gonna have a strong reaction to it either positively or negative. Um, and, and I think part of the reason that uh, for that is because when it comes to the negative reaction, I think it's because what people know about the Bible are kind of a bullet point version of it. Um, either they grew up in it and something happened and it kind of drove them away or they just kind of see the, you know, the, the, the negative things or the bad things. And what I want people to know when it comes to the Bible is that this is not a book that is really filled with rules. It's not a rule book. It's not a guide book. Um, it's not uh, you know, a, a book of restrictions. That's not the purpose and the point of the Bible. Um, the point and purpose of the Bible is to be a book of grace. It is to be a book that uncovers and reveals to us the love and the mercy and the peace and the grace of God. Um, and so here in this class, what we're going to do is 
We're going to look at God's profile. We're going to look at the pictures that he tells us about himself, that he shows and reveals to us, uh, pictures that he has of us, who we really are, um, you know, how we, we look in God's sight. Um, and the encouragement here from Isaiah 55 is, seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. Um, and that's really what we're going to do, okay? Uh, we are going to search God's book to discover his grace um, and that is really kind of the goal and purpose of this class, okay? All right, lesson one is going to be kind of a big, massive, general overview of the Bible. We're going to kind of summarize the entire Bible really in one lesson. So I tell people, um, if, if uh, this is not your cup of tea, um, you don't like what you hear, you don't want to come back, that's fine. It's up to you. But I'm asking you to finish lesson one so that you at least get kind of that overall general summary of the Bible, okay? If you don't want to come back for lesson two, that's fine, okay? But please just commit to coming to lesson one. And I'm going to need two weeks to do lesson one. I realized that already, okay? So I'm asking for two weeks, all right? And we're not going to have class next week, so it's actually going to be spaced out a little bit to three weeks. But that's it, I promise. Um, this poor planning on my part. Uh, I'm going to be out of town next week. I apologize. Um, so lesson one, God's grace plan. Um, and we're going to look at the two main teachings of the Bible. Um, and we're going to talk about that when we get into the lesson goal. But to serve as an introduction, I want you to imagine this situation. Imagine that you're not feeling well. Um, it, it's been a while. And so you finally think you should go in and see a doctor. You go to the doctor, you, you tell them all your symptoms all of your problems, all of your pains and ailments. He kind of gives you a once over, maybe he takes your blood pressure and he says, you know what? Um, you look relatively healthy. Um, if you're not feeling well, there's some easy things that you can and should do. You should probably get some more sleep. You should probably get a little more exercise. You should probably change up your diet a little bit, eat some more fruits and vegetables, less carbs, more protein. Uh, you should probably drink some more water, um, take some multivitamins, um, and you'll probably be feeling better in, in no time. So you do all of that. Um, and six months later, a year later, you're feeling worse. Things are not only not getting better, they're getting worse. And so you go and you see a different doctor to get a second opinion. And this doctor does a much more thorough examination. Gives you the whole thing. MRI, CT scan, x-rays, blood work, everything. Um, and the doctor comes back and sits you down and says, um, I've got some bad news. It's not good. Um, and he kind of explains to you whatever it is that's wrong with you. And, and he concludes it with this. He says, you know, it's a shame that we didn't find this sooner. We probably would have been able to do more for you. Now, heaven forbid that you're in this situation. But if this was the situation that you were in, um, how would you feel after hearing that second doctor's diagnosis? Annoyed. I think that's very kind of you, Trisha. Very generous. I'm annoyed just by walking into a doctor's office. I haven't even seen him yet. Yeah, I know you. You and me both do. What? Distraught. Yeah. Why? Not, not only because none of us wants to hear bad news, right, when it comes to our health, but I did come in earlier. I did come and, and say something was wrong, and no one took me seriously. No one gave me kind of the honest, um, the honest uh, diagnosis, right? 
This is sort of what I use as the example when it comes to what is the difference between biblical Christianity, which is, which is what we're all about, and every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world, when it looks at what is your spiritual diagnosis, what are your issues, what are your problems, how is it that you can become um, right or good in the eyes of whatever God it is that you believe in or are serving? The ways that you do that is you do X, Y, and Z. Spiritually speaking, you get more sleep, you eat more fruits and vegetables, you take more vitamins, you get some exercise, um, you drink more water, and that should be enough. Uh, the Bible says something much different. Its diagnosis is much more thorough, and its diagnosis is much worse. Um, it is not just, here, follow X, Y, and Z, and you'll start feeling better. Um, it is, you have a serious, serious problem. But you can only find the solution when you receive a proper diagnosis, right? And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. Um, we are going to start out with kind of diagnosing ourselves or letting the Bible diagnose us. And I want to forewarn you that it is not good news. And this is why I'm asking you to stick out because there, are, there is good news coming. Um, but this is what you need when you go to the doctor. Um, when you go into the doctor, what is the number, thing, number one thing you need to hear from him or her? And people always say that I'm healthy. No, that is not what you need to hear. That's what you want to hear. But what you need to hear is the truth, right? Because only then, only when you receive that proper diagnosis, can then you finally start to look for a solution. And the Bible has that, and it's pretty awesome, all right? And that's what we're going to get to in lesson one. All right, so here is our lesson goal. We're going to do this at the beginning of every lesson, kind of lay out. Here's what we're going to shoot for. You see it there on page one. In the first lesson of this course, we're going to learn about the two primary teachings contained in the Bible. The first is called the law. The law is the bad news. We might compare the law to our doctor's diagnosis when there is bad news to hear. Still, we want our doctor to tell us the bad news because then we can talk about a solution. The second primary teaching of the Bible is called the gospel. The word gospel literally means good news. I love that. Um, so every Sunday morning, we come to church and I ask people, please stand for the reading of the gospel. It really is, please stand for the reading of the good news. That's what you're about to hear. Stand up, because this good news is for you. Um, after we hear the law's bad news, we naturally want to find the antidote to our spiritual sickness. The gospel is that antidote. The goal of our lesson is to come face to face with the bad news, the law, so that we can discover and appreciate the good news of our spiritual remedy found in the gospel. All right, so let's get into it. The law's message, we're going to do this by looking at really seven questions in this lesson. That's it. It's going to take us a, a while to get there, but that's really all we're shooting for. We're going to try and summarize everything in seven questions. And here's our first one. What does God require from me in order to have a relationship from, uh, with him? And a number of people hear that question and they kind of go, really? Well, that's weird. Why would God require anything of me? Isn't he this all loving, gracious God that just love and loves and accepts everybody? And I say, my, my response to that is this. We all have standards, don't we? I mean, before you married somebody, you didn't just go, you know what anybody will do because anybody and everybody should just love and accept me for who I am. Um, when you have friends, even family members, your own blood, there are things that they can do that you say, you know what? You're, you're, you're not gonna be in my inner circle of family anymore, 
right? Why is that? Because we have standards. Um, we say people need to be um, kind. They need to be truthful. They need to be honest. Um, they need to be trustworthy. All of these standards that we have before we allow people to get close to us, right? We all have that. God does too, okay? Um, and, and the standards that God has can really be summarized in one word. God says this in Leviticus 19, verse 2. It's a, it's a book in the Old Testament, one of the first ones. God says, I want you to be holy because that's what I am. So God says, if you want to be near me, um, if you want to be close to me, you need to be holy because that's what I am. Okay, well, what does it mean to be holy? Um, we've got a couple of ways the Bible describes that. Jesus is having a conversation with a young man one day, and uh, the young man comes up to him and says, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what do I have to do to get to heaven? What do I have to do to go to the place to be near God? And, and Jesus says, well, what does the law tell you? That's what we're looking at. What does the law tell you? And the man responds, and he says, well, the law says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So love God essentially more than anything else and love your neighbor as yourself. So anybody and everybody that you cross paths with today, anybody and everybody that you've ever crossed paths with in your entire life, God says, I want you to love them as much as you love yourself. Do that. Luke chapter 10, similar story, same question. Here's the answer. Jesus replies, do this, love God and love your neighbor perfectly without fail, and you will live. Well, we're all living, right? The man standing there in front of him was living. So he's not talking about you're going to get to continue living your life. He's talking about eternal life. This is how you inherit eternal life. You want to get close to God. You want to be near God. You got to be holy. What does it mean to be holy? Here it is. Love God more than anything else, always, only, and love everyone else around you as much as you love yourself. Do that, and you will win for yourself the grand prize of eternal life. So if we were going to put that into like a, an equation, percentage, right? What percentage of holiness does God require us to have? Yeah, 100% um, holiness, right? God doesn't say, be kind of holy, be sort of holy, be as holy as you can be. He says, be holy like I the Lord your God and holy. And that means no sin. If you don't know what sin is, that's okay. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But it's the opposite of holiness. It's the thing that makes you not holy, okay? So God says, if you're going to be holy, you can't have any of that. And eternal life will be yours, okay? So here's our first answer, bottom of page one. Um, what does God require? God requires that I live a perfectly holy life, right? And never commit any sort of sin or sins if I want to have a relationship with him, if I want to be close to him. This applies to the way that I love God and everyone else in the world. So those are God's standards. Okay. Follow-up question, pretty natural, natural one, I think, is, okay, so how am I doing, God? When you look at my life and compare me to those requirements, how do I look? Well, God tells us that too. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, New Testament book of the Bible now, we have this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is that holiness, right? That's the bar. That's the level. 
And the Bible says we've all sinned, which means we've all fallen short of that holiness, of that glory of God. Okay? Another passage, Psalm 14, um, says this, there is no one who does good, not even one. That doesn't mean we don't do good things on a day-to-day -day basis. It doesn't mean that we don't show random acts of kindness. It doesn't mean that we don't um, you know, show love to our neighbors and people around us. It doesn't even mean that we don't love God. It just means when it comes to this standard that God has set, ultimate good, um, eternal good, good enough, right, to get us close to God, the Bible says no one has reached that bar. Kind of <laughs> just a different way of saying what we just saw in, in Romans. One last passage. What is the result of this, right? While well, the wages of sin is death. It's the exact opposite of what we just saw in the last passage. So when God looks at me, then what does he see? If what he wants to see, uh, if what he expects of me is 100% holiness and no sin, and that equals life, well, the opposite of that is what he sees, and the opposite of that is what we have coming, okay? What God requires, what God sees. Now, we get to this point, um, answer number two, when God compares my life with his high standards, he sees just how far short I have fallen. In fact, every person has failed to live up to the high standards that God's law demands from us, myself included. The greatest Christian you've ever known or met or read about in a book falls into that same category, okay? When we get to this point, I, I like to put this picture up because this is kind of what it feels like, right? Um, the Grand Canyon, you're standing on one side and God says, you know what? He's on the other side and he says, if you want to be close to me, all you got to do is just make a cross. Yeah, good luck, right? What's the difference though between a klutz like me who gets a nice running start, trips over my shoelaces and just falls down the face of the cliff and the world record holder in the long jump, who I don't even know what it is, 30 feet, whatever, um, makes it 30 feet. What's the difference between how both of us end up? There's no difference, right? And, and I bring that up to say, so what's the difference between somebody who lives a totally godless life? Somebody that, 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 that society and the world would look at and say, this is the worst human being who's ever lived. That person we would say didn't even make an attempt to, 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 to get near to God, or how about the greatest Christian who, who, who made it a third of the way there? What's the difference? You either make it all the way across or you don't. You're either holy or you're not, right? Um, that's kind of the point. Sidebar, question number three. I told you we'd get back to this. What do we mean when we talk about sin? Um, it's a word that you probably don't hear much out in the world. We probably only talk about it in church, but it is something that everyone in the world knows about. Um, we all have, again, we all have those standards of what is right and what is wrong. Um, and the Bible will give us a pretty good definition um, of what it means when it comes to what is wrong. The Bible calls that sin. Um, there's a couple things here that we can say about it. Genesis chapter 8 verse 21 says this. Every inclination of a person's heart is evil from childhood. So sin is not something that we just learn to do when we're adults. Um, and, and I always thought this was kind of harsh. And I, this is, you know, some of, the, some of the people that I've taken through this class have struggled with. They've got a, they've got a one-year-old, they've got a newborn baby, and they say, no, you're telling me that, that, that my little newborn child's heart is filled with evil? I don't buy it. And I say, just wait. Um, just wait, right? Um, 
and and it's 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 sad, um, but it's inevitable, right? Another way the Bible says this: Psalm fifty-one, verse five. Um, King David, King David in the Bible, um, a monumental figure in the Bible, says this about himself. And when he says it about himself, he's really saying about all of it. He says, "Surely I have been a sinner from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me." What we're going to see, and we're going to talk about this more in an upcoming lesson. What we're going to see is that the Bible will talk about sin, not just as things we do or don't do, but sin is actually a part of who we are by our nature. And I think a very easy way to describe this and, and show this is, I use the example of my own kids because it's very easy. Um, I did not have to sit down any of my kids and teach them how to lie. I'm assuming you didn't either. Um, I don't have to teach my kids how to hurt people, how to hit other kids. I don't have to teach them how to steal. They just do it. But what do I have to teach them? What do you have to teach kids? How to be nice, how to say please, how to say thank you, right? How to look out for other kids. Um, because that is contrary to their very nature, right? The Bible says this problem that you and I have with sin, and this is why, spiritually speaking, eating more vegetables, um, you know, getting more sleep, drinking more water, essentially being a better person isn't enough. It isn't enough to just stop doing sinful things because <clears throat> our problem lies much deeper than that, okay? Um, we, we call this, um, every person inherits a sinful person from his or her parents. So you didn't just acquire your parents' um, looks, their eye color, their, their nose, their hair, their, 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 their physical features. Your parents also gave to you the very worst of them. Um, and, and, and we give it to our kids. This inherited sinfulness is just as dangerous and just as damning as any sinful action. Sometimes this is called original sin or inherited sin. And as I said, we're going to talk more about this. Where did this all come about? How did this come to be? When did this start? We're going to talk about this in lesson four. So we're going to get there soon enough, okay? Right now, I just want to kind of give you some, some pointers on what does the Bible mean when it talks about sin? Secondly, what do we mean when we talk about sin? Jesus said this one time. Jesus said, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. So again, even if I could stop my hands from stealing I cannot stop my heart from coveting or lusting. Um, I cannot stop my mind from thinking hateful thoughts. Maybe I can stop my mouth from saying hurtful things, but I can't stop my mind from thinking them, right? Um, and I learned the older you get, the less and less you can even stop your mouth from saying those things, right? <laughs> you lose that filter, right? Um, but here's the point. Here's what Jesus is saying. This sinful condition we're born with, this is where it comes from, right? It comes from the heart. It comes from within. The sin doesn't just start when I put my hands around someone's throat, right? It, it's, it's, it's that aggression, that rage, that anger, that hatred um, that was filled up inside of me that led me to do that. Um, and so it's a, it's a much deeper problem than a lot of people are willing to admit. Last one, we got one more kind of part to this answer. James 4, verse 17 puts it this way. Anyone then who knows the good 
he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Meaning, the Bible says, God says, there are a lot of good things I want you to do. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to honor your father and mother. I want you husbands to, to love and provide and cherish and take care of your wives. Um, wives, I, I want you to be faithful and to love and, and honor your, your husbands. All of those things, lots of good things that the Bible wants us to do. And a lot of those things we look at and go, yeah, no, I don't want to. I just don't want to do that thing. I don't, I don't like this person. I don't love this person. Whatever it might be, there's good things that God wants us to do that we don't do. On the other hand, this is, I think, what probably most people think of when it comes to sin. Um, Leviticus 5 says, if a person sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, he's guilty and will be held responsible. So there's a lot of things God says, don't do this. This is harmful. This is not going to be good for you. It's not going to be good for your neighbor. Don't do this thing. And we do those things. Right? So it's kind of two sides to the same coin. Here's our answer. Uh, third answer, letter, letter C. Sin includes the good things we don't do, sometimes called a sin of omission. Right? So when you omit something, you leave something out. Right? You fail to do something that should have been done, as well as the bad things that we do, sometimes called a sin of commission. So if you commit a crime, what have you done? The law said, don't kill, don't murder, right? And you do it, you've committed a crime, right? So again, it's just kind of two different ways of describing um, things that we do or fail to do. Some common terms used in the Bible to express this concept, and then I'll, I'll pause if there are any questions. Probably the most common one we've already been using tonight, the word sin. Um, that is a word that means um, to miss the mark. So essentially, when God gives a command and he says, don't do this or do this, he puts a bullseye out there and says, this is what I want you to do or not do with your life. And when we do the opposite of that, we miss the mark. We miss the target. And that's what the word sin means. God says, hit the bullseye with everything you do in your life. And when I don't, I miss the target, right? I miss the mark. That's what sin means. So it kind of puts a picture in your mind. Another one. Um, a little easier for us to grasp is the word trespass. You hear this probably most notably in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You imagine a line, a fence, a wall, something that says don't go past this point. God's word will give us some of those. Here's the line. Don't go past this point. In fact, God's word would say don't even get near to this line, right? Because no good will come of it. Um, trespass, another way the Bible will talk about sin. One last one, probably the, the least commonly used one, but one we're going to look at in a passage here in just a minute, is the word iniquity. Iniquity is a word that implies guilt. So um, if you are uh, on trial and you have uh, been found guilty by the, the, the judge or a jury of your peers, sometimes you can give like a you know, a final statement, the judge will ask, do you have anything to say for your iniquities, right? Um, there's an implication of guilt there, right? Um, so if I, if I feel guilty, I have iniquities. If I have iniquities, I'm guilty, right? So it's kind of very tied very closely to that word guilt, okay? All right, um, what questions do you have so far? We'll just take a break there. You don't have to have any, you don't, feel like you have to say anything you just keep digesting this if you want but i wanted to just take a break if you did
Sunday mornings, uh, solution we we had the uh, action what is it three three items that we always say every Sunday when we confess our sins of yeah. Jesus. Yep, we'll talk about that at the end of the lesson. Yep, yeah, that'll kind of be our our how do we how do we show that we believe this in our worship life? Yeah, end of every lesson we'll have that. Question number four: What are the consequences of sin? So what? Okay, that, that's kind of this question. So what, right? Um, so, so what if, I, if I'm not close to God? So what if I have sin? So what? Nobody's perfect. So that should kind of just be the end of it, right? What's the big deal? What are the consequences of sin? Well, the Bible says this. Um, here's that word iniquities um, that we just looked at. Um, Isaiah 59 says this, your iniquities have separated you from your God. So you see the picture there in your notes, right? It's not just that we're on one side of the Grand Canyon and God is on the other. The Bible also says the reason that you're, you're so far removed is that in that Grand Canyon is also this massive, black, thick cloud of your iniquities, your guilt. It's not as though God has separated himself from you just because he doesn't like you, doesn't want to be near you, it's because you and I have this thing the Bible calls sin, our iniquities, our guilt, right, actually is what separates us from God. So what? Well, Ezekiel 18 verse 4 says, the soul that sins is the one who will die. A soul is not a physical thing. A soul is not the kind of thing that you can go into a hospital and get medication for. You can't be put on soul support. Um, the soul is a spiritual thing, right? So we're not just talking about, well, we're all going to die someday. No, we're talking about a spiritual death. There's another kind of death at stake here that we're going to talk more about. Galatians 3, another book of the Bible, says this. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. The Bible actually says we are cursed people um, because we have failed to live up to God's standards. What does that mean to have God's curse? Well, Jesus tells us. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus looks ahead and he says, this is what it's going to look like on judgment day. On the last day, Jesus says, I'm going to come back. I'm going to separate everybody who has ever lived. People on my right, people on my left, and the people on my left, here's what I'm going to say to them. Depart from me, you who are cursed. Okay, well, what does that mean, Jesus? Well, it means that you are departing into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. To carry God's curse is to mean you and I are hellbound. Um, this is what it means to fall short of God's requirements. So a lot more is at stake. Okay. Answer. Sin causes a separation between God and people. Because all people are sinners, all people deserve to die and to be condemned by God to suffer for our sins forever in hell. I said this diagnosis was not going to be good. Um, I bring, it brings me no joy to say this. I'm a part of this. This is just as true for me as it is for you. Um, this is what God's requirement is. This is what it means when you fall short. This is where we are. This is what is at stake. So if this is really true, then what are some solutions that we could come up with? How do we get out of this situation? Well, 
um, let's put our heads together and let's borrow a couple from um, that people have come up with. How about this? Try harder. If I do better today than I did yesterday, and if I keep on trying harder, God will accept me. People want to envision our, our path up to heaven like it was a big ladder. And as long as I'm climbing up more rungs of the ladder than I am falling down, eventually I'll get there, right? What's the problem with what we've seen tonight? Why, would, why will that not work? Okay, you can't ever do enough. Why, why does the ladder analogy not work? People picture it as if I do good things, right? I climb up the ladder and with every bad thing I do, I got to climb down one rung of the ladder. So as long as I'm doing more good than bad, then I'll, I'll keep making this eternal progression. The reality is if you look at what we've, and seriously take into consideration what we've looked at tonight, what happens to the ladder when I commit my first sin? It's not just that I go down one rung of the ladder. I go down to the bottom of the ladder and God takes the ladder away because I'm no longer holy. Right? Um, and, and the fact that, again, if we have this original or inherited sin, I don't even have a chance to climb the ladder, right? This is never going to work, okay? Um, so try harder, not going to cut it. How about this one? Um, this is another good one you hear a lot. You kind of have a balancing act, right? So you, you, you picture your whole life, everything you've ever done is kind of put up on a scale and divided into good things and bad things. And as long as the good outweighs the bad, then I'll be fine, right? Um, and and I, I, I use this example because I'm, I'm kind of a cinephile, I'm a big movie fan. Um, and uh, I think one of the, the, the best ways I've ever seen this kind of described is in the movie, uh, classic, critically acclaimed, I think it took home like a bunch of Oscar awards, Home Alone 2. Kevin Lost in New York, one of the great movies of my generation. Um, and he meets there in Central Park, the crazy pigeon lady. Um, and they kind of hit it off after he's initially terrified of her. And on Christmas Eve, they're sitting there up in the balcony listening to the, 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 the New York City Orchestra. And they're having this kind of come to Jesus moment that doesn't involve Jesus. And Kevin is pouring out his heart to this woman. He's really making a confession to her. He says, I made my family disappear. I wished them to go away. I wanted to celebrate Christmas without them and I got it. And now I feel terrible. And do you remember what the crazy pigeon lady says? She says, I believe that every good deed erases a bad deed, right? Now, logically, I think a lot of people think that that makes sense when it comes to their relationship with God. God, if I do a good thing, it should make up for and erase the bad thing. However, we don't even allow that to be true when it comes to our interactions between one another. Have you ever had somebody who hurt you or did something to you or harmed you in some way, who brought you flowers, who gave you a card, who came up and gave you a hug, who said, I was sorry, and you looked at them and said, what, do you think that makes it okay? We don't allow that. We don't actually believe that a good deed erases a bad deed. Why would we think that the holy almighty God would allow it? Right? If, if we ourselves don't accept it. No, that one doesn't work. Okay. Here's the last one that no one likes to admit out loud, but I think deep down everybody in, in one degree or, or another believes. And that is, 
Well, I may not be perfect, but at least I'm better than most people. That is, if hell is real, then we all kind of can agree on who the people are who deserve to be there, the worst of the worst, right? Um, but here's the problem with that. There's a couple of problems with it. But the first problem with it is, um, who then becomes the judge? Well, you and I do. Well, here's the problem. What happens if somebody really, really does not like you? Um, they might have a different judgment than you might have of yourself. Um, here's, here's the problem. With it. We kind of envision this as like our, our line on judgment day to get into heaven is going to be like Target the day after Christmas when everybody's bringing their gifts back, right? And you, you hold on to your number. Beetlejuice even had this, right? You're sitting there in the waiting room and you got a number and it's like 2 billion, 458 million, you know, and you're waiting in line. And all you're hoping is that the person in front of you and the person behind you are kind of dressed or look similar to one of these guys. Someone's got to make it into heaven. And, and as long as I'm kind of surrounded by people like this, I should be okay, right? Here's the problem. This is based on me comparing myself to other people. But look back, look back and think back to our very first question. To whom does God compare us when it comes to making his judgment about whether or not we can be near him? Himself, right? And when it comes to himself, what is the difference between these guys and me? Not a thing, right? So, so this one doesn't work either. So here is uh, our answer when it comes to these three man-made solutions. Proverbs 16, verse 25, I forgot. Here's a passage that the Bible says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. All of these are ways that people model their lives after. Um, you'll hear people say this at funerals. You'll hear people talk about themselves in this way. I've been a pretty good person. Um, I, 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 I'm not perfect, but I've, I've, done, I've done the best I could. And I always kind of want to ask somebody, have you really, like, can any of us really actually say that? That we made the most of every single opportunity we ever had to do the best that we possibly could? No. But it's a way that we try and comfort ourselves. The Bible says it seems right. It seems like it would be enough. But in the end, this is where it leads. One more passage, James 2, verse 10 says this one. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. God does not grade on a curve. God doesn't say 80% or higher and you get in. Um, as long as you get a passing grade with your life, you're good. God says, be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Um, so here is our, our, our conclusion. What, are the, what solutions are, are often offered? Well, many have tried to offer solutions for our dilemma with sin. Some think that God will accept them because they try to do good. Others think that God will accept them because they do more good than bad. Still others think that God will accept them because they are better than other people. Which just, again, we don't say it out loud because we know how wrong it sounds. But we think it. We like to believe it. These solutions may seem logical, but they do not deal honestly with God's holy standards. Because people are born sinful, that original, that inherited sin that we looked at earlier, no one can supply the perfect obedience that God demands from us. Not even the greatest Christian can keep God's law, meaning his demand to be perfect. 
well enough to earn his way out of hell and into heaven. Everyone has sinned and has earned the punishment of eternal death in hell. Now, that is the diagnosis, and this is normally where I would end. I, I like to keep every class to about an hour, but I wanted to do this first class. I like to do the introductions just so that people who are going to be in class together can do that. Here's the conclusion. The law shows us our sinfulness and dire situation before God. This is our diagnosis. The Bible is diagnosing who we are on our own. We cannot save ourselves from the sinful, from the situation, but thankfully God can and he did. Okay. Uh, normally, this is uh, where I would, would stop, is at 8 o'clock. Is it okay if I take 10 more minutes? Are you guys okay with 10 more minutes? Is that okay? So I think we can get through most of this, because I don't want to end you for two weeks with bad news, because there is good news, okay? If you got to go online, uh, no hard feelings. I'm still recording, um, but I would like to get this. Like a longer sermon. Like a longer sermon, yeah, thanks. Question number six. So how did God solve my dilemma with sin and its consequences then? Um, I can't do this, but God did. Um, how? Here's a passage. Good news. Second Corinthians 5. God made him who had no sin. Who's the one who had no sin? Well, it can't be any of us. Um, it is Jesus. Um, and if you, you look back in the context there of 2 Corinthians 5, and we're going to spend, like I said, every lesson, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about Jesus. Um, he is the one who had no sin. And yet, here's what God does. God the Father makes Jesus, the one who has no sin, to be sin for us. So that in Jesus, so that in having faith in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That holiness is now something that's given to us, credited to us, attributed to us. Not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, not because we're better than most, but because Jesus gives it to us. Here, here's the picture. You see it there in, in your notes. This great exchange takes place. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. God takes the sin of the world and he says, Jesus, you are going to suffer the consequences for it. What were those consequences? To be separated from God. Death, hell, all of those things is what Jesus is going to endure, what Jesus suffers because he becomes sin for us. And what is the result? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. We get the status of the one who knew no sin. God looks at us through faith in Jesus. And he says, everything that Jesus earned, everything that my perfect son accomplished, that's now credited to you. So what my law demands, be holy, you could never have accomplished. But Jesus did and he now freely gives that status to you as your very own. Okay? Some other passages that describe that. John 3.16. Probably if you know one passage in the Bible or heard one verse in the Bible, this is probably it. And there's a good reason for that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, John 3.16 says this. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And we know this gave it, gave him into death, right? Gave him over to the sin of the world so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So the law says, if you don't do this, you're going to perish. The gospel, the good news is because Jesus endured it, because God gave his son. Now you're not going to perish. By believing in Jesus, you are going to be given eternal life.
Second Timothy uh, 1 says this, Our Savior Jesus Christ has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the good news, through the gospel. Um, so, so this curse that hangs over us is gone. Death, spiritual death, eternal death, all of that is done away with. And now Jesus brings life, spiritual life, eternal life, immortality, never to die again. He brings all of this to light. He brings this all, all to the world through this message, through this message of good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. One more verse. First um, Corinthians 15 says this, the sting of death is sin. So really the, the cause of death, why do we die? The wages of sin is death. And the power of sin is the law. Um, why is it that, that sin now becomes this, this condemning thing? Well, because God's law says this is what sin is. This is what sin means. But, thank God for the buts, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives it. It's yours. A sin-free status. The promise of eternal life. Um, the promise of forgiveness. Um, the righteousness of God. That status of holiness. It's all given to you through Jesus. All right. So when we look then at that, consider a couple things that Jesus said. We just went over these on Good Friday. Consider a couple things that Jesus said on the cross, and maybe it'll help kind of make better sense of it. Jesus said this, if you remember. He asked the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So picture again, why is Jesus on the cross and what does he now have? He's on the cross because of my sin and he's on the cross with my sin. And what does sin do? Your iniquities have separated you from your God. What is Jesus admitting? Jesus is admitting here, I have taken the sin of the world upon myself. And I am suffering exactly what you promised, separation from God. Okay. Um, this is what Jesus is enduring. This is what he's communicating, right? Um, what does Jesus mean when, then when he says it is finished? Um, he's not just talking about his life. This was not his way of saying, well, time for me to go. Um, when he's talking about it is finished, he's talking about exactly what he's accomplishing with his life. Your salvation, the debt that we owed to God, our sins, they're paid for, they're forgiven, they're removed. Jesus says there is nothing else you need to do in order to be saved. Um, it is finished. It's all been paid in full. Um, this debt that we have to God, the separation that we have, Jesus says it's all gone. I take it all away, right? The victory, right? He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That work is finished, okay? <clears throat> so here is our answer. Question six. How did God solve my dilemma with sin and its consequences? God's justice demanded that our sins must be punished. Jesus doesn't come along and say, just kidding. God didn't really mean what he said in the law. Sin isn't that big of a deal, and none of you are going to die. No, Jesus came to reaffirm that. Um, God said sins must still be punished. The wages of sin is still death. However, God's love sought a way to save us from our sinful condition from which we cannot save ourselves. 
And that solution here is the gospel. So God's fierce justice, sins are going to be punished, and his rich love find a solution in Jesus Christ, God's only son who came into this world to be our savior and substitute. Jesus lived the perfect life that we could not live. Not even once did he fail to live up to God's holy and high standards. Jesus suffered the punishment for our sins when he died on the cross on Good Friday, and he secured our release from hell and our entrance into heaven when he rose from the dead on Easter morning, all of which we're going to talk about more in detail in upcoming lessons. Simply by believing that Jesus did these things for us, God credits Jesus' holiness to you, and he credits Jesus' death as the payment for your sins. God's great exchange, Jesus takes my sins, I get his holiness. That great exchange is full and free for everyone. This is God's grace plan that provides the only correct answer to life's biggest concern. All right, one last question. And then we'll wrap up. Question number seven, so what, right? We did that with the so what of the law. Now we're going to do it with the so what of the gospel. What is the result of Jesus saving lives? We looked at Romans chapter three, verse 23 earlier, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's the very next verse. And all are justified. We're going to talk about this word a lot too. But to be justified is, is it's a courtroom term. It means to be declared not guilty. So if I'm on trial for something and the conclusion, the sentence, the, 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 you know, the, the result of the trial, the judge says, um, I find that Noah was justified in what he did. What does that mean? It means I go home. Right? It means I'm not guilty. Um, and the Bible uses this word a lot to talk about our, uh, the declaration that God makes over us now because of Jesus. We are justified. We are declared not guilty. What does it cost us? Nothing. Freely by his grace. There's that word. Grace. God's love for us. Freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Powerful passage. Couple of passages. Another one. Romans 6.23 we looked at the first half of this one earlier, too. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know why John 3.16 is the most well-known verse, and it's a good one. I think this one's better. Um, I think this is the single passage in Scripture that if you could only share one passage with somebody, this would be the one. Because it says, law and gospel, here's what I deserve on my own. But here's what God gives me purely out of his grace. A wage is something that you earn. You work for it. You have a job every week. Every two weeks, they give you a wage. They have to. They're legally obligated to give that to you. What is God legally required to give me on my own? Well, I have sin. That's all I have to offer him. And therefore, all he is legally required to give me is death. What is the opposite of a wage? A gift. Um, I don't give my kids birthday gifts or Christmas gifts because they're just the absolute best kids in the world. Um, I give my kids gifts because I love them. Um, and that's it, right? Why do I have this comfort and assurance of eternal life? Because your God is just that gracious because he loves you just that much. Um, 
gift. Love that verse. First John 2, if anybody does sin, and we've already established, that is everybody. If anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we go back to that courtroom scene. You and I are standing before, before God, um, the Father, and he is our judge. And he says, um, I've got all your life story right in front of me. I see all of the sins. I see all of your failures. Um, there's, there's, there's really no argument here. There is no defense. Hell to hell with you. But we have uh, a defense attorney. We have a lawyer who speaks up on our, in our defense, and it's Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Sorry, Father, you can't punish them for their sins because you've already punished me. And I am the righteous one. I am the perfect one. I am the one who never once sinned, and I suffered all of the consequences of this individual's sin. Um, he speaks up for us and is our defense. So what is our answer? What is the result? Because of Jesus' holy life, his death in our place, his resurrection, he has provided everything we needed to restore our relationship, our nearness, our closeness with God. We are now declared to be innocent and are fully forgiven in God's sight. Instead of suffering God's wrath forever in hell, those who believe in Jesus receive the blessing of forgiveness and eternal life with God in heaven after this life. All right, so here's our summary, um, and then we'll stop. First, the law. The law is the first major teaching of the Bible. Its purpose is to point out that we are sinners in God's eyes who do not deserve his love or attention, but only his fierce anger and punishment in hell for failing to meet his high standards. We cannot live the perfectly holy life God expects in order to have a relationship with him. We're going to learn more about the law in future lessons. We're going to touch on it really probably in almost every one. But for now, this simple summary will be sufficient. If you're going to summarize the law, what does the law do? What does it accomplish? Kind of think of SOS, right? It's an easy way to remember that, save our ship. What does the law do? The law shows us our sins, right? It shows me my failures. It shows me how far short of God's glory I have fallen. It convicts me. How about the gospel? Well, this is the second major teaching of the Bible. Its purpose is to show us how God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to keep the law perfectly in our place and to suffer the punishment for our sins as our substitute. Because of the good news of Jesus' saving work, we are freed from God's anger and punishment. We enjoy a close relationship with God, and we can look forward to being in God's presence forever in the perfect peace of heaven. God's grace plan, the gospel, is the most important teaching in Scripture. We will also learn more about the gospel in future lessons, but for now, this summary will be sufficient. If the law shows us our sins, what's the S word here? The gospel shows us our savior, salvation, either of those would work, right? The gospel shows me Jesus, right? It shows me the one who took my sins away from me, suffered their punishment, and gave me his righteousness. Okay. That is where we're going to stop tonight. We'll pick up the, uh, at the end of the lesson. We'll, we'll kind of finish the, the end of the lesson um, next time. And that'll kind of just serve as a good review since we're going to take a week off. And then we'll get into lesson two. And we're going to look at this question, which is a common one that comes up a lot. Why can't God just forgive? 
Did Jesus really need to die? People look at it and say, it seems just a little extreme. Couldn't God just say, I forgive everybody, and then that be it? Um, no, and I'll tell you why. Okay, that's kind of what we'll use to, to begin the lesson. All right, before we go, are there any questions to end with?